You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome again to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. I'm joined, as always, Neil Siwang. Neil, you must be pretty pumped after the Ds look like they're one step closer to a finals berth. Look, us, us Demon fans never take anything for granted. We never count our chickens. Uh, I fully expect us to lose the next four games and uh, and miss out. So, yeah, we'll take it one one win at a time. But it was an important win for Melbourne and, and St Kilda when we're looking at the uh, the finals ramifications. Absolutely. Um, is it a prerequisite for Melbourne supporters to be glass half empty about everything all the time? I think if you have 10 or 12 years of, of being pretty <laughs> horrible, it, it's pretty hard to be optimistic. It takes a lot, a lot of time to change those perceptions. If I was a Geelong fan or a... You know, a Richmond fan, I'd expect everything to come up roses every week. But yes. um, I think uh, you look at the history, it's hard to be overly optimistic. Maybe it's, um, you brought up Geelong there. Maybe that's a, a bit of a scars <laughs> from the past. We won't talk about a certain scoreline. One eight six. Jake Michaels, uh, speaking of, our team uh, wasn't very good on the weekend. The Blues uh, look like they've sort of let slip a spot in the eight, you would think. Yeah, a little bit disappointing, but um, I don't know. I... I to be completely honest, I didn't really expect us to, to make finals this year and I'm reasonably happy with how we've gone. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, uh, yeah, it's never, never fun losing to, to the old enemy. No, absolutely not. Uh, Christian Jolly, welcome along to you. Uh, I might stick, start with you because Footy Fest 2.0 is now here. Uh, there's footy on tonight, tomorrow and the next night and that's whichever night you're listening to us. Uh, it also means that finals is around the corner because they're trying to condense as many games as they can uh, into the next couple of weeks so that we can get a spring grand final. It is now officially spring, September 1, when we're recording this. Uh, Christian, as I said, we'll, we'll get into the real stuff a bit later, but something from the week that might have slipped our minds that you noticed. Um, I don't know if it slipped people's mind, but again, quick sh- short turnaround between rounds, and it was the final game of the round. Gold Coast performance on Sunday night. Um, we might get into their opposition a bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but... 38 scoring shots, nearly every sort of player just looks so exciting, played to their full potential. It was, um, it was really awesome to watch. I've been um, probably a bit slow to get on the Gold Coast bandwagon. I, I, sort of, I think I've spoken about it before, but after every draft, everyone's sort of trumpeting, their, they've finally fixed their team and this is the draft that's nailed and this is the draft that's nailed them. I've been waiting to see the evidence. Um, yeah. yeah, a bit of a flat patch in the mid, mid part of the year. But again, that, that was a, a weaker opposition for them, but they did the job that they should have done and... Again, just the, the way the players connected and um, some of the individual performances was really exciting. I don't know what you're talking about. You've been a fan of them since we started this podcast when you um, outrageously declared they would win at least one game uh, last last season when people were thinking they were going to go winless. <laughs> They're going to do an avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> a very big call. Um, yes, Jake, something from uh, the weekend that we might have missed that caught your eye. Uh, I don't know if we missed it, but um, it's hard to go past Joe Danaher. I mean, we've all forgotten about him, and he just came back. Didn't really do much in the first half, but um, I think he reminded everyone of his talents in the second half. Great performance there, considering he's, he's not played a game in so long. Uh, the other bomber, I think, that we've been sleeping on a little bit is Andy McGrath, who's gone into the midfield and is having an awesome season. I think most people probably had him as the third guy behind uh, Hugh McCluggage and Tim Taranto from that, that top three a few years back. But I think he's well and truly joining where they are now. And, and he looks like he's going to be a super player in the midfield for a long time. 
Mm, yeah, cut his teeth off half back and looked good there and has made the move and looks equally as good there. So good signs for his career. Neil, uh, something that caught your attention from the weekend we will not otherwise speak about. Well, Jake's kind of stole my thunder there. I was going to talk about Joe Danher um, and how exciting. He's probably the most exciting, one of the most exciting players in the competition when he's up and going. Um, it's so but also, predictable, but and, and that's what you love about it. Yeah, he's like a Maybe he's like a, <laughs> a rangy cult that can't control himself. But when he gets going, um, he's amazing to watch. But another um, factor of that game was poor old Johnny Patton going off with another pretty serious lower leg injury. And I just hope that he looks so downcast when he got injured. And I hope that he looks at Joe Danaher and thinks, yes, it might be another wasted year, but if I put the work in and I get the right team around me, this might be me in 12 months time. You know, I might be enjoying a really strong return to footy and I might get another three or four years out of my career. Big talent, isn't he? And he just, uh, I mean, he, he looked like he was putting together at least some games. And that's the first thing you need to do when you are coming back from, from serious knee injuries is just put a block of footy together. And he was starting to do that. And whether the results would have come, uh, we, we, don't, we don't know now for, for probably the rest of the season. But um, yeah, a bit of a shame. But Neil, I've just noticed... Danaher, buddy, you've seen to have a bit of a thing for lanky forwards who like to pull their socks up. Is there something, something about that that you used to play back in the day with your socks up? Or No, I was a Dow fullback. So they used to be, in my very amateur lower level playing days, <laughs> they used to be the sort of blades that I used to hate. But uh, nothing about the way they pull their socks up. But just, I think kicking goals and taking high marks is uh, probably the most exciting element of our game and, and probably getting harder and harder to do with the way that the game's congested and with the lower scoring. So... Yeah, the guys that can do it, run and jump mm. and kick goals, they, uh, yeah, they're great to watch. Mm. Yeah, something for me, obviously it wasn't missed, but something we won't otherwise talk about is the goal line technology that was in the Alice uh, on the weekend, or lack thereof. It's honestly... It's <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. It worked itself out for, for the Ds, that's for sure. But just the fact that they just didn't have anything, there was no angle that could have been conclusive when they've put all this money and this R&D into something called the Arc where they spend however many thousands of dollars creating a logo for that, and they can't take a couple of GoPros into the Alice. It's just, honestly, it's bewildering. It is. Well, I feel, like we could have a, I feel like we could have a, uh, a, a segment on uh, AFL rules and the arc and goal line technology each week. But, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, even the, even the grounds that do have the technology it's not great it's still not great the camera angles are never spot on the quality of the cameras aren't great and a lot of the time it's just got to go with umpires calls so uh for the fact that they actually didn't have any of it there was pretty embarrassing particularly when they needed it late in the game for sure i mean christian you were saying in our pre-podcast meeting that um the afl and the broadcasters were trying to pass the buck to one another about who should be putting the technology in place i think that's what think that's what it came down to is like we all know we need cameras in there but who's responsible for the cameras i think you know uh, i don't know venues were brought into that so there'd be venues broadcasters afl house sort of thing who you know it's um surely the afl has to foot the bill for that it's their competition their integrity yeah the rules i think yeah exactly if it's a rule that you know that umpiring can go to the arc and make a decision they should have the right uh technology there to support that so yeah Agreed. All right, uh, let's get into the real stuff. We, we'd like to do a bit of a deep dive uh, on this podcast with uh, something from Champion Data. And this week, we're going to look at forward 50 targets. Christian, I know you've prepared a, a little bit about what these are, but we're going to look a bit deeper and, and see who's looked at too much or not enough as a forward 50 target, which teams are predictable with their forward 50 targets, 
who aren't predictable and more. But I guess the first question to sort of kick things off is, how do you describe firstly what a forward 50 target is? Is it just an inside 50? Yep. So what it is, it's someone, it's only from a kick into the forward 50. So if someone's kicking from the midfield zone into the forward 50 and you're the sole target of the kick. So you could be one-on-one, uh, you could be in the goal square by yourself, you could be out on the lead or you could be in a pack against five opposition players. As long as we can see that you were the only sort of teammate that the guy kicking the ball to into the forward 50 was uh, the target of that kick. Um, we got an extension of that. I mean, we can also look at targets, no chance. So uh, how many times do we kick it to a player like Tom Hawkins and it just gets chopped off 20 metres before him because it was such a bad kick. We still record that as a go-to target for Hawkins. Uh, tick a little box called no chance, which sort of cancels out Tom Hawkins' numbers. It's not his fault. It wasn't retained. It was clearly Geelong were going for him. Um, but that's not one that's going to sort of come into the numbers that we'll sort of dive into now, which is like player retention and team retention and goal percentage once you go to certain targets. So again, it's only the initial kick inside 50. So again, a couple of times a bloke might uh, mark the ball inside 50, handball to a guy in the midfield who then kicks inside 50 again to another player. That doesn't count as another forward 50 target. We're only looking at that initial entry when you first went inside 50. Does it count if uh, if you're inside 50, you've marked 49 metres from goal and you see a better spot 30 metres out from goal, for instance? No. So, yeah, we you, you would have, if you've marked it in at 49 and you were the target, you would have been the target inside 50 then right. again because we, we use that, you know, 50 metre arc as um, once you're on one side of the painted area, you're now inside 50. So, again, that only that first target would count in these yeah. numbers. Um, the second one is just, you know, just like a normal pass. Because, again, we, we just want to look at that first initial entry when they, we, we expect the forward line to be a bit more open, uh, more, you know. Again, once you get repeat entries, there's probably 10 or 12 teammates in there that you can choose to kick to mm-hmm. and as, men, as much opposition. Usually on that initial entry, it's two on two, three on three, four yeah. on four in the forward 50 or one on one. And you're clearly either kicking to a pack or a, or a single player. So we try to measure that. And, again, in terms of comp average, eight out of the 10 kicks inside 50 go to a target. So uh, we look at what we call bomb and scrap kicks as well. So a scrap kick is just a blind kick out of a stoppage that ends up going inside 50. They're not sort of counted. Um, and a bomb kick is the ones, you know, they go to a pack or, you know, go 20 metres out to nobody. So, you know, sometimes you say, well, where, who was he even kicking that to? Um, so, again, if you're having a shot for goal, that's not included in the, any of these numbers. Uh, so, yeah, so looking at who is targeted the most um, of players this year, it's probably no surprise when you watch it. Charlie Dixon for Port Adelaide, um, you know, single-handedly sort of controlling the air down there. I know he's got a little bit of support in Justin Westhoff and Todd Marshall, but they sort of roam very much further up the ground. So, mm. um, again, looking two ways to look at the number. He's been targeted 133 times. Second most is Ben King at 117. But, again, Port ben Adelaide King has a, a second as a as a second year player, it's amazing that he's been given that much authority and responsibility as a, as a, he's still pretty skinny and he's still got a lot to learn. Correct. How much they rate him. I'll get into his numbers shortly as well. And they're sort of, again, they're, they're promising signs without being sort of dominating numbers, if that makes sense. But um, just looking at Dixon and Kings, so obviously Port Adelaide uh, average a lot more inside fifties per game than Gold Coast. So looking at percentage of times you've kicked to a target inside 50, Ben King actually comes up as the most used target inside 50 this year because 38% of Gold Coast targeted kicks have been to Ben King. 37.5% of Port Adelaide's have been to Dixon. So, again, if clubs are looking for who's been targeted the most, yes, Charlie Dixon has been targeted the most, but who's been targeted the most heavily, it's been Ben King in terms of uh, percentage of teammates. Best, so, best way to learn, just keep, just keep kicking it to him. <laughs> correct. And, and no, it's, not the, 
the worst idea considering how tall he is and the reach he has on him. I mean, it, it makes sense that you sort of want to go to a, a player that probably has the edge over most defenders he, he comes up across. Yeah, it's hard, you know, for a young kid to keep forward. Yeah, Gold Coast have the added benefit of being such a young team, but I think that's what you want to do with young guys. Why do you want to, if, if Ben King's going to be your number one key forward in 10 year time, why is he going to learn as your number three, number four? And so, you know, it, it works for some people, but again, it's a slow burn. They've just thrown him in there and they said, this is going to be your role for the next two, 10 years. Let's, let's do it now. Um, as I said, I'll go into his numbers a little bit. So it's almost not cut the losses, but again, so when they target him inside 50, he kicks a goal 6% of the time. So, again, I've cut it to anyone. There's been 62 players that have been targeted inside 50 at least 25 times this year. So, I'm going to look at a list of 62 when I do my rankings. Uh, so, his score percentage, you know, his goal percentage is 6%. He's 58th of that 62. So, not great at all. He's not, he's not winning possession of the ball uh, himself and kicking a goal. So, he's not the most valuable target. But, again, if you look at the extension of um, team retention, so how well does the team actually win next possession of the ball when he's the target inside 50. Again, it's, it's not a high ranking, but it's 47%. So it's, it's 49th, 48th. But I think that's the number that you'll just be trying to increase in the early part of his career. It's not about him winning possession of the ball and taking those strong pack marks. Mm. It's about as long as we kick to you, that it's just not, you're not getting pushed off the ball and we're losing possession of the ball. The old cliche that he's bringing the ball to ground. So yeah. To so again, that number, it's not, it's not, as I sort of said earlier, it's not dominating and it's not high, but I think that's the two numbers you look at together. At, at the moment, he's not getting a lot of the ball and kicking it himself. But at least he's not the worst at actually losing possession of the ball. Um, so which key forward at, has the best retention rate? Yeah, so if you look at just, um, again, if you want to look at player retention, so you winning the ball yourself, um, it's actually, again, looking at 25 or more targets. It's been Christian Petrarca this year, who just qualifies with 26 targets. Uh, 62% of the time, he's retained possession of the ball. Uh, so I'll just call a few names. Second is Jack Martin. Third, Bailey Fritch. Fourth, Cam Zerhar. Fifth, Eddie Betts. Um, they're all medium, they're all sort of general forwards rather than key forwards, aren't they? Correct. So I think it's a sort of um, a philosoph- philosophical thing with kicking to an inside 50 target. Those five players, especially, you know, Eddie Betts, Jack Martin, uh, mm. you're not going to kick to those players leading into a pack of players. They're not going to be your hit up targets 30 metres out in the hot spot yeah. uh, like Charlie Dixon's going to be and crash a pack or be one out wrestling with blokes in the goal square. You're only going to really pick out, you know, blokes like Eddie Betts, Bailey Fritch, Jack Martin, when they've got a nice clean lead, when they've got into a bit of space. So again, that, um, you know, the, the forwards that we sort of call as the, you know, the, the get out options, those taller forwards, their numbers of player attention are probably ruined because of the type of targets they've been given in. So again, we take out the no chance one where you've got completely no chance to uh, compete for the ball, but we don't take out the ones where it's, we don't measure one V one versus one V four versus one V five when we go into these numbers. So um Again, that's why for me, the sixth name on the list, Tom Hawkins. So 50% of the time Geelong have kicked to him out of 110 times they've gone to him. He's retained possession of the ball. So if we do look at those monster forwards, um, you know, that have been targeted at least 80 times, so the top 10 forwards, uh, he's the only one at 50%. The next highest is 40% for Josh Kennedy at West Coast. So Tom Hawkins this year has been, you know, not only is he winning possession of the ball, but he's also... You can watch it on the vision. He's he's beating three or four defenders at a time. He's not always getting it on a nice clean lead every single time. Um, so he's at one of those monster fours that he can kick to, and he really does create a contest at ground level. Um, so again, it's amazing the latter part of his career, how much he's still improving. Hey, he's like 
you, you get towards 30 as a key forward and they often start dropping off, but he's he's almost hit another level this year. Yeah, even, crazy. Crazy. I mean, even the 50%, I mean, you compare that, as I said, Charlie Dixon, 29% of the time, he wins possession of the ball. Uh, ben King's 29%. Percent. Uh, Tom Lynch is the fourth most used target, 34%. So 50% is just, as soon as I ran these numbers, I'm like, Tom Hawkins is the massive outlier, but he's, he's clearly dominating the air. And uh, again, it doesn't have to always be at the, in the air. Sometimes you can... Like, with Tom Hawkins, very good at sort of pushing off a player and sort of winning it on the bounce or at ground level, um, that would count as a forward 50 target win as well. So, um, so again, just, just, yeah. just sorry to interrupt. Like you talk about how these players who are targeted, like the Dixons and the Hawkins and Josh Kennedy's up there as well. These are the teams at the top of the ladder. Is this the way that you see that team successful teams is working? Is they're just targeting their key forward quite a fair bit? Like the teams that are varying it, Carlton, Melbourne, middle of the table, middle of the pack. Um, with, you know, Fritch and, and Petrarca and these sorts of blokes. But is it worth targeting the same player all the time or is, does varying it work better? Is there something that the numbers show there? Again, it, it depends on your target. Uh, Tom yeah, Hawkins, it depends who you've got. Yeah, that. <laughs> it's someone that's probably, um, again, just it's shown that he's, it's very predictable they're going to go to him. Yeah. Um, they've gone to him 110 times, just looking on the list. Radagalia, uh, I think, was second for him. Just lost his yeah thirty two. I'm sure if the D's had Tom Hawkins, I reckon they'd be yeah, kicking exactly. it to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So predictability isn't really the way to go. Yeah, but you look at well, some of the GWS who have those three different key forwards. I know Jeremy Cameron's. Sorry, dead, it is. Yeah, but um, Himmelberg and Finlayson again. They sort of they, those three players again. Looking at last year's numbers, and they're up there again this year. They're the three constant uh, key forwards. That their team score percentage is always quite high and very. Uh, consistent. So GWS have three guys that can handle the load. Geelong probably only has one. So again, it, it depends on the talent on your list of whether you should be going to the same guy or mixing it up. GWS obviously like to mix it up, but it is, it's, it's a question. Um, I think people have been asking for the last 20 years and that, you know, it could be a justified hype or hyperbole question, <laughs> but do you need a key forward to win a premiership? Um, everyone always says you do, you know, we've never seen, never really seen a key forward dominate grand final day. Um, we've seen a big, few big prelim performances and buddy in an elimination final, but can't think of too many key fours that have, you know, taken the game by the scruff of the neck on grand final day, but it is, it's the philosophical question of, do you need these gun targets inside 50? Um, and again, across the season, I think you do for a 23 game season and 22 game season, 23 rounds and what it usually is. You clearly need big clean targets, um, predictable play going into your forward line uh, as, as we said that we need that get out option kick that's just not going to get pushed over and lose possession so I think you need it but again do you need it on grand final day is yet to be seen because uh, when it comes down to the air yeah, the skiddy point of the season you can win without him. Neil uh, this see, we this is interesting Neil I want to put this to you because we did a three-part series talking to assistant coaches uh, earlier in the year and, and talking about sort of game plans and what make up game plans and um, Ash Hansen and Ash Prescott who we spoke to they were kind of big on being unpredictable to the other team, but predictable to yourself. And that sort of seems like what these numbers are reflecting here. And it must be really hard though, because the, the opposition analysis that goes into footy these days, it must be really hard to surprise your opposition coming up because they'll be watching your past week, your past probably month of footy mm. really closely. So trying to find those surprise edges that they might not have seen while also being predictable within your own side, that's, I mean, that's going to be pretty tough for a coaching group to get right. For sure. If you want to read more on that, uh, it is still on espn.com.au slash AFL. You just probably have to search for it. Uh, I don't think if you scroll far back enough, you'll find it. But um, just search for assistant coaches, ESPN, AFL, Neil, probably will we'll do the trick. Something like that. Get on the Googles. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so anything else that uh, tickles your fancy about forward 50 targets, Christian, before we move on to an Ask Champion data question? Uh, no, I, was just, I mean, I was just going to end up with, again, the ultimate uh, result that we always talk about is your team just needs to score. So who is the being, who's been the best inside 50 targets um, for team score percentage this year? So, again, another young guy, only 28 targets this year, but Elliot Himmelberg, again, goes mm-hmm. against the uh, flavour of top teams being up there. When Adelaide have kicked to him as a target, uh, inside 50 this year. They've scored 61% of the time, uh, considering they're down at about 35, 36% for all entries. Um, it's a very promising number. I must admit, I haven't watched him very, very closely. Um, and just sort of, you know, I've, I had seen his numbers early in the season. He's had a couple of, you know, um, good games where he's plucked a few marks. But yeah, 61% is a pretty good um, strike rate there. Liam Ryan's second at 55%. But again, Tom Hawkins, he's only seventh. But again, he's the one that's, you know, at 48% of the time, Geelong kick to him, they score. Um, again, looking at Tom Lynch, who's the next sort of main key ones at 42%. So, yeah, Tom Hawkins, he's going to uh, either win possession himself. And if he doesn't win possession, his team's still going to score it with that sort of roving play. And But again, yeah, one of the, one of the names to watch there from that list is Elliot Himmelberg at Adelaide. Um, sort of been talking about him all year and have they found anyone? Maybe they have in, this, in, in a key forward that sort of can be a, a valuable target for him up there. There you go. Maybe it's not all doom and gloom for the Crows. Uh, yes, I did mention we got an Ask Champion Data question this week. Again, if you want to put your questions to Christian, just hashtag Ask Champion Data on Twitter and we will get to them. Uh, pretty simple one, it seems. This is from Ryan Edwards. Does a smothered kick count as a disposal? Uh, yeah, I wish it was that simple. But, I mean, it, we, we try to make everything simple. But um, one of the things we always say is footy's not black and white. So... For a kick to count, it has to, but, you know, for a smothered kick to count, uh, it has to have travelled, you know, some sort of distance either before being smothered or after the smother. So you think of a guy that's kicking out of a pack and it's clearly smothered, but it goes another 20 metres along the ground, that's worth a kick. Okay. Um, you're taking a kick from a mark and you kick into the man on the mark, you know, who might be five metres away, that's clearly worth a kick. Um, but again... Uh, if it's a, if it's smothered immediately off your toe and you know within thirty centimeters or you know forty five centimeters of your toe and it just gets killed straight back into the ground, it won't count as a kick. Basically, the opposition again when we look at everything as a two way two way game, there's offense and defense happening every time the ball's in play. It's almost like saying, well, that that defensive player or that defensive team hasn't conceded a kick. They've, they've killed the kick and smothered it straight in the ground. Um, the the ball carrying player doesn't deserve any meters gained, whether it was one meter or ten meters. Um, and same for a handball. Um, so the exact same sort of rule for a handball. Was it smothered right at contact and went nowhere or did it travel through the air? So again, uh, I know this one comes up a lot with queries because people are betting and it, it's amazing <laughs> to me how many of these seem to be the 16th or 21st disposal or 20th yeah. disposal. <laughs> Whatever gets game. you over the line. <laughs> um, but it's amazing. So we get, you know, still frames of it's clearly travelled in the air. It's clearly travelled somewhere. But again, it's it's let the let the vision run and did the ball just, you know, basically end up at the same spot it's left. It's a, it's a little bit of um, uh, subjectiveness in it, but again, not too much. You know, we, we look at it as all as uh, calls and back calls and we can sort of tell which ones we want to pay as a kick and not because of, it comes down to, yeah, has it, has it travelled anywhere? There you go. And you're right. It, it always does seem to be the 14th or 15th disposal and with two minutes left on the clock. <laughs> uh, all right. Excellent. Let's move on. Uh, we've got a few topics we want to touch on before we get to justified hype or hyperbole, which we were shadowed before. Jake, uh, you and I are Carlton fans and we watched the game on the weekend and well, we've watched all year pretty closely the Blues and something that seems to 
come up in my discussions with my friends, at least, I'm not sure if it's the same with you, is Patrick Cripps's goal kicking. And it got me wondering, and it got Neil wondering, who brought this up. This is a really good question. Can you be a superstar of the game, which Patrick Cripps is touted to be, with a major flaw in, in, in your game? And he does seem to have a major flaw, and that is his goal kicking. Uh, I think you can be a superstar still. And I don't like... I, I was giving Eddie Maguire a bit of stick a few weeks ago about calling everyone a superstar. Not everyone is a superstar. There's only, you know, the, the, the league only has four or five genuine superstar players. You can't have three or four in every team. It just cheapens what a superstar is. Um, but to go back to the question, yeah, I think you can. Um, you know, he's not the only player, well, current, current star player that isn't great in front of goal. I mean, there's more, in my opinion, there's more that struggle in front of goal than, you know, uh, are sound. I think Dustin Martin's just about the only star midfielder that I'm really comfortable when he's around goal. He, he generally doesn't miss. You know, Robbie Gray's, Robbie Gray's really good around goal, but he generally he plays a bit more as a forward now. Um, but, yeah, go on. <laughs> even, even though, right, even with all that, even with, you know, Dangerfield might not be the best kicker goal, Fife might not be the best kicker goal, these sort of superstar players. I don't think there is a player on Carlton's list or on, his, on the best 22 on game day that I would rather have the ball in his hands less than Patrick Cripps, 40 metres out from goal, directly in front. Not one player. Like, that, that is how bad it is. I, I feel it has been this season. And to me, uh, uh, I think he almost agrees with you, Matt. I've seen a few times where he's lined up and he has not looked confident at all, even, you know, when he's won the free kick or taken the mark. Um, you know, Do you have his stats there? The same mentality as you, Matt. He'd be like a rather any other teammate here rather than me. <laughs> Do you have his but stats Let me ask there? you this. Let me ask you this. If, if, if Patrick Cripps didn't kick a goal for the whole year, but he did what he does in the midfield every game, would you be happy with that? Well, he, okay, it, it, it's, that's a, it's a complicated question because he's, he's a captain of the club. Um, and, and, and one of the problems I think that Cripps has as, as captain or co-captain of Carlton uh, is that he tries to do it all. He tries to shoulder the load because he has done for the last four or five years. Yeah. And, and the, the thing about the Blues now is he doesn't need to do that. He's got players around him who can, who can help shoulder those. He's got Walsh. He's got Jack Martin now. He's got... Um, Harry Mackay can kick goals. He's got, you know, Eddie Betts is providing assists in the forward line. Weedering and Simpson and Doherty are all solid down back. He still thinks he needs to shoulder the load a lot. And I think that's one of his flaws is that he tries to do too much. And the goal kicking aspect of it, why was he calling for that ball on three-quarter time when, when Jack Martin was having a shot at goal? Martin's the best well, kick in the team. Well, I think the problem with Cripps is the reason it is amplified and highlighted so much is because he can drift forward and take those great contested marks. Therefore, he's having these these shots. Yeah, but if he if he just wasn't a great contested mark, we'd never see him in that position, and we'd never talk about it. We might say, "Oh, you know, it'd be, it'd be good if he could hit the scoreboard a little bit more." But instead, because good. he's actually doing something that a lot of players can't do by taking those contested marks. Um, it's flipped around saying, oh, he's, he, he shouldn't be doing that. That's the double-edged sword of, of what we're talking about because Cripps has the size to be able to have an enormous trump card in drifting forward and taking marks and having shots at goal, which is a massive weapon. Um, so that's one huge positive. But if he's, if he's missing really, really simple shots at goal, which he seems to do quite regularly, that really sucks the life out of, you know, emotionally that, you know, the, the, the team on the field when he needs to kick goal and yeah. misses and, and sometimes it might go down the other end and 
I think that's that's even more so difficult for a leader um, to assume that responsibility and, and then keep on missing these shots. So there are a lot of layers to this question with, with Patrick Cripps because we all agree that as, as a first possession midfielder, he's possibly the best in the AFL. Um, the, like the only sort of, not the only, but like another example of a superstar who has a flaw in their game is someone like uh, Lance Franklin. I know we haven't seen him uh, this season or, or much over the last couple of years, but he's not a pack mark. Like he, he cannot take a pack mark to save himself basically. And it's a rarity when he does, he's much better on the lead. He's much better in, in general play. Um, but it's not as big of a deal breaker as it is that, that Cripps can't kick goals. And unfortunately that's what's holding him back from being a, a Brownlow medal contender. Well, yeah, but then, you know, look at Dangerfield. It's not just around goal. I mean, he cops a lot of criticism for his ball use around the ground. And Fife, um, too. Remember Fife missed so, those two shots in the grand final when Freo yeah. had a bit of momentum and, you know, he, he's that tall midfielder that can go forward. Yeah. And, I think he would have been you know. 22 at that time, though. Probably yeah. Fife. And then, and then go, look, you know, go back to when Tom Mitchell won the Brownlow and there was all the criticism he was getting. Well, his possessions don't mean much and he doesn't kick goals. It's like... Mm. There's no, there's been no player in history that can do everything to a ten out of ten level. It's just not going to happen. Yes, it would be nice if Cripps could kick a few more goals, and he and and he didn't look uh, completely shell shocked in front of goal. But you know, he does. I mean, he's not he's not in the team to be a forward. If he was in the team to be a, a, a key forward, I'd be worried. But Jake, they're throwing forward. Well, maybe he shouldn't go forward. Maybe, maybe he shouldn't. should rest on the bench. What's he kicked this year? Five goals, ten. And I reckon a few haven't made the distance and a few... So two, he hasn't kicked a, two more misses, yeah. Yeah, he's kicked a few more on the full. And he's, he's, he last kicked a goal against the Hawks. He kicked one, two that day. And every game since he's kicked a behind, a behind, a behind, a behind. And from my, from, from my memory, they've all been very gettable shots and some of them at really crucial times, unfortunately. Yeah, so, so looking at the kick rating of those shots, exactly we take into account how easy and... You miss an easier shot and you lose high percentage. So he's at negative 21% this year for his shot at goal rating. It's the eighth worst of, you know, the 130-odd, 140-odd players that have had at least 10 shots at goal uh, this year. But again, looking at Is there his, a bigger name below that? Sorry? Is there a bigger name below him? Um, I mean, they're all very similar inside players. Um, you know, the worst is Luke Parker, 24%. So he's probably another bigger name. I mean, he's not the captain of his club, but, you know, I won't, I won't say superstar to tick uh, Jake off, but <laughs> star of the competition, Luke Parker. Um, yeah, Brent Daniels, Sam Powell Pepper, Hugh Greenwood, highly inside. Tim English, just a big ruckman. Brad Ebert, who's probably the, you know, the one that is playing forward, but playing more as a pressure forward. Uh, and Jared Lyons again, another inside midfielder. Inside midfielder. Think they're not they're not mug players. Like that's a that's a good <laughs> list of players. players. Yeah, well, they players. cut to at least ten shots at goal. So you you have to at least uh, there's going to be some good names on there. But again, so his expected hit rate though for Patrick Cripps is fifty and a half percent, and he's at twenty nine percent. So that fifty and a half percent, it's the easy of those all those names I've called out. He is taking oh sorry the second easiest shot. So. Brad Ebert's probably, you know, the worst one. He's at 55% uh, expected hit rate and at 33% actual hit rate. Uh, so he's I just to- think we're looking too much into this because I, I reckon we, we're, we're two of those shots from being goals away from not talking about this, from him yeah, being... So it's not like he's had potentially, shots. Potentially. Just, I think the time point for me, and we've said it a few times, is the confidence for him. Though. I still think... I don't think it's a huge problem. I think he is still a superstar and I don't hesitate to use that word. Uh, for Patrick Cripps, but again, just looking at his 
confidence in front of goal, it's got to be something he works on in the off-season. Yeah. He, yeah. he just needs to be able to look a little bit more confident, whether he is missing him and hitting the post or, as you're right, you're right Jake, whether he kicks those two and we, we're um, lauding him for, you know, closing that game out against Collingwood. But to me, it's the, it starts with the confidence and I just don't see any confidence when he's lining up. Yep, agreed. Paddy, got some advice for you, mate. In the off-season, pay some money. You're getting paid some good money. Pay some money to a goal-kicking coach and go and kick footies all day, every day from different spots <laughs> on the ground, mate. And you become a much better player. And then you'll have you even money to have in your pocket. What are you charging him, man? <laughs> what am I charging him? Jeez, I can't kick to save myself. Um, probably better on the left than I am, my right. Uh, in a word, Jake, have you been happy with the Blues this year? Pass mark so far? Yeah, I have been. Uh, pass mark, what do you mean? Like a letter grade? Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, depending on... Probably between a, a B minus to a C plus. If they finish eight and eight, you'd be you'd be happy with a B minus with them. Eight and eight would be a B. I think I think that's a that's a good result considering you know I mean a lot of Victorian clubs are in the same position where all the get you have to play on the road all, all season long. But um, I've seen more positive signs in 2020 that I've seen in probably the last three years. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really impressed with where the Blues are heading, and I'm confident. First time as a Carlton support, first time in yeah three or four years, I've been really pleased with the direction we're going. And I can actually see uh, the progress. So I didn't think we'd make finals this year. Um, so I'm not disappointed that we're not going to play finals. Um, but I don't see why we can't challenge next year. I mean, we're already challenging this year. We're going to be stronger mm. next year. So, uh, yeah, pretty happy. In Anyone a have any <laughs> thoughts to the contrary? Yeah, I think they need to make finals next year. Yeah, I agree. think... I think the list build and the momentum and the slow, gradual improvement um, is, you know, satisfying um, for, for most Carlton fans. But I think if they regress next year or just plateau, I think there'll be a lot of angry Carlton sports out there. Mm. Yeah, the list profiles at this point now. I think you're right, Neil. Uh, North, speaking of another list and their profile, they're in a bit of strife. because Not quite as rosy. No, since winning the first two games of the year, it's been pretty miserable um, and... I mean, the loss on the weekend of the Suns was miserable as well. Uh, basically, they were just completely outplayed, uh, out, outshot, out everything, basically. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about what they need to do to get things right. Jake, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on this podcast that you actually don't mind where their list is at. Um, but I've got a question here on the run sheet. Is it time to embrace the rebuild that they've put off over the last couple of years? Well, it looks like they are embracing the rebuild. If you've been watching, I mean... You know, I was talking about this earlier today, but the fact that Sean Higgins, who is their best player currently in the team, maybe their best player when they're all fit, uh, certainly the best ball user, he's playing out on the wing, which is fine because he can have a bit of time and space to use the ball, but he's not getting the ball. I think he only had about 12 or 13 touches against the Suns. Didn't really look like he was getting, well, he wasn't getting involved in the game. And why, if you want to win games and you want to get, you know, experiencing the young players, I get that. But don't you want them to be in and amongst the, the action with someone like Higgins and learn off him? I just find it crazy that he's playing out. He may as well not be playing at all. Um, and to me, that's just a sign that, well, we're not using the word tanking, but they're already looking ahead to, to next year. Neil, they've got a strong draft hand. They'll probably have two picks inside the top 12, you'd think. Um, mm-hmm. It's obviously going to be a bit of a, a difficult draft. And um, I actually wrote a piece recently about how this draft upcoming is going to be one of the most unpredictable of all time, purely because half the talent pool hasn't had a chance to shine 
uh, in front of recruiters. You can read that also on espn.com.au slash AFL. But, I mean, do they need to do more than just have these two high draft picks, Neil? Could they look at getting rid of someone like Ben Brown or, or Jared Pollock and taking whatever value they can from them? Yeah, it's, it's such a delicate act, isn't it? Like if they strip it right back, then they might be worse off for a couple of years and it's harder for the young kids to actually you know, get shown the way by mature players and it's harder to perform in worse teams. And we've seen you know, teams like my beloved Red and Blue, you know, strip everything right back and get rid of all the veterans and, and it's gone pear-shaped really quickly. Um, I, think, I think maybe they should get... It sounds like Jared Pollock is on the outer. The fact that they've got... I think I saw them say they've got 28 fit players for the game against Gold Coast. And he couldn't get a game. Um, they have been smashed by injury. But the fact that he, he's on one of their biggest contracts... You know, at his best, he's one of the better outside players in, in the league and they, they're still not looking at him. So if he's on the outer, maybe ship him off, pay some of his salary and get a decent... Maybe try and get three picks inside the first 20. Um, with their, They've got pick two for themselves and they'll have Melbourne's first pick, which will be you know, number eight to 12, for, you know, if we're guessing. Um, and then try and get a, another pick, another high pick for Pollock. I think they have to get the balance right. Um, and well, they'll be keeping Jake a lot of that said, midfield grunt, like, like Jake said. I mean, Zeeble's probably not going to go anywhere. Cunnington's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, Higgins isn't probably going to go anywhere, even though you could possibly get some value for him, even at his age. Um, yeah. You're looking at sort of players like a Pollock on the halfback flank and Ben Brown in the forward line. Forward line's got things to look forward to. Like, it kind of seems like that's where they need to strike the balance is where they look to move players on and where they look to keep them. Yeah. I mean, Larky and, and Zerha look quite quite strong up forward. So yep. maybe Brown is, is you know, you get a, looks a reasonable okay as well. pick. Yeah. So Christian, maybe, I mean, as you said, you build from the inside and they've got a great little mix of LDUs coming through in the inside as well. So yeah. and Josh yeah, maybe a, a stepped up forward well. or a, a flanker. Yeah. Christian, anything in the stats that suggest that North have things to look forward to or do they need to go searching for things to look forward to? No. So again, sort of the way I looked at them is just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is just how bad this season's gone for them. So we know, you know, they're sort of high. I don't think they were number one on the injury ladder, which I don't have in front of me, but they're high up on there. But I think, you know, the question was sort of posed, um, not today, but sort of in, in terms of are they as bad as Adelaide? Um, and I think the way I looked at it is at least Adelaide, they were starting with a new coach. Again, we still, I've banged on about this a few times on the podcast, still don't know what Adelaide are, what they stand for, what the time it's in, because they're just... They've just been so far behind in so many games. They just played catch-up footy. We don't know if they've really been a corridor team or a boundary team or a handball kick team or a rollback or, you know, a forward half team or anything like that. Um, with North Melbourne, we, we, we saw it last year. We saw the, the coach change mid-season um, and we were singing their praises on the podcast. So, again, look back at it. Third for time in forward half for the second um, part of last season after Reshaw took over. Fourth for winning intercepts in your forward half. Number one for scoring points from those. Um, and again, you take out the first two rounds this year where they, you know, for that round, they ranked sixth and seventh in those two stats. They're now 16th for time in forward half, 16th for points gained from forward half possessions. Mm. Um, they, you know, when Shaw took over last year, they were using the corridor, the second least coming out of the back 50. Uh, mm. Now they're using it the third most, which again, just sort of says you're not playing the way you either designed to play or you're coming out of the back line with a lot more panic. Um, so sometimes, you know, it can be a positive thing to come out of the back line through the corridor. It's, a, it's attacking play. But for them, it looks so different to their signature that Reshaw had put in place for uh, second half last year in the first two rounds. Um, it's just so confusing, it, isn't it? It is very confusing. Their forward movement's changed. Their forward half game's not as good. And 
probably another stat that sticks out for me is it's, it's not a high percentage, but 18% of their scores, um, I think since round three, have come from centre bounces. Again, we talk about sustainable part of the game. If one in five of your points or scores is coming from centre bounces, that's not going to win you enough games. Um, their ability to score from turnovers is one of the worst in that time as well. I think the competition average is about uh, scoring from about 18 19% of turnovers. They're at 9% in the last five weeks. So it's probably one of the lowest numbers I've ever seen. Um, so, yeah, just a, a lot has gone wrong for North this year. And um, whether that is because of injuries, um, you know, I would assume so, again, because we just we saw what Risha was trying to implement last year. And we haven't seen any of that since um, round three onwards, really. But it's un- that's unrecognisable. The fact they've gone from quite like top six in the league for, for time in forward half compared to, what, you say, 15th, 16th? 16th in the yeah. round. So, yeah, so is it personnel or? You look at the numbers and it's completely fallen apart for them. So there'd be a number of reasons for that. But again, uh, a lot of the talk that I read, again, um, it seems to be they've got a lot of players out of contract and they've got a mm. lot of uh, ability to, to move their list. Um, so, you know, they might not be in a great position in terms of they're flush with youngsters that are coming through, but I think they're in a good position in terms of it's not a great year for the draft this year. So then maybe they can get creative and just pull out a few wacky trades that, you know, we all try to sit here and create um, hypothetical trades, but maybe they pull out Ben Brown and they end up getting a gun small forward at a high draft pick for him, something we don't expect. We don't know, but, uh, you know, from reports I've read, they got up to 24, 25. Yeah. Or something. So it seems like they got a lot of choices to make, which could, can be a good thing at times. Mm. Yeah, North's an interesting one. We'll uh, we'll keep Watch watching them with, with interest over the next couple of weeks uh, and then the off-season because it's going to be a big one for them regardless of whether they go down the trade draft or other period, um, uh, other avenue. Um, let's move on quickly. We're running out of bit of time here, but Neil, uh, I'll keep this pretty simple. Who are some players that you never rated but have you eating humble pie? Well, there's one that springs to mind um, having watched his team quite closely over the last couple of years it's Stephen May um, at the uh, Demons um, really high price recruit um, mm. Melbourne uh, gave up pick six for him uh, last year he had a shocking first year at Melbourne um, and I was surprised that, that Melbourne paid that much for a guy that was going to be a free agent the year after I thought that would that that was probably paying well overs for a guy that doesn't string seasons together very well um but his last or his season this whole year i think he's given up nine goals in 13 games playing on the number one forward each week um and he's slowly but surely winning me over and he's a he's a rock back there he's a he's a yeah a bit of humble pie there for me with steve may he's come a long way since he was downing pints on a saturday afternoon during rehab last year <laughs> it wasn't the best look and it yeah, reinforced my perception of him Maybe not being a great professional, but geez, he's turned it around this year. Fair enough. Jake, someone for that list. Who's got you eating humble pie? Uh, well, probably the player um, that has me eating some humble pie is Travis Boak. I reckon he was overrated for about 10 years. Not to say he was a bad player, but he certainly wasn't the A grader that everyone made him out to be. I think in the last two, and, and I, to be honest, I never thought he could get to the level that he's playing at now. Since last year, he's been enormous. He's become one of the best, most consistent and reliable midfielders in the comp. He's had a huge part in Port rising up the ladder. And right now, he's probably sitting in the top three in the Brownlow medal. And it's something I never thought he would get to, particularly in the 
you know, in his 30s now. So um, full credit to him. I, I take nothing away. It's not to say that he was a bad player, um, you know, five, six, seven years ago. But I think people sort of rated him a little bit higher than maybe he was. But he's beginning to match all of that hype now. Fair enough. Christian, have you got someone for this list? Um, I don't know. I like to think pretty hard for this one. But I think a little one for me might be Dan Butler. Um, just, again, because of the off-season move going to St Kilda. I didn't know if they'd get the same sort of... Um, the creative footy that we saw out of him at Richmond. I thought the way Richmond's game style worked was really beneficial to him um, and didn't know what sort of impact he'd have at St Kilda. But, yeah, seeing this year that he's been very, very good at St Kilda. Again, I sort of uh, his numbers have dropped the last three or four weeks. Um, I think opposition uh, defences are starting to pick him up a little bit more. But, again, I felt like uh, he probably made me eat my words a little bit for the first half of this season, showing that uh, he could produce whichever team he was at. Good nomination. Mine's Lincoln McCarthy at the Lions. I thought, honest sort of player at the Cats, played only three games and two games in the two years he was at the Cats before he moved to the Lions. Um, did have some injury issue, but, but moved up to Brisbane. Kind of as a, a, almost like a package deal to get Lockie Neal across the line. I'm pretty sure they were close friends in, in junior footy. Um, and, but since he's been at Brisbane, he's been extremely valuable for them as a, as a, as a target up forward, kicking a goal a game. Um, flies high, just offers something that they didn't have in that forward line. And I honestly didn't think he'd be um, getting as much game time as he did at the Lions, especially considering how good the Lions have been the last year or two. Um, but he's, he's proven me well wrong and, and is a really valuable member of that 22. Well, he was really highly rated at the Cats, wasn't he? But I never... Just couldn't really get it together on the park. Yeah. Um, no, he's, he's an, certainly an important player in their forward line at the moment. Yes, uh, I haven't got too much time left. We've got to whiz through these. Justified hype or hyperbole, my favourite segment where I'll say a statement to you guys and you'll tell me if I'm talking in hyperbole or if the hype is justified. Jake, West Coast can't win the flag if it's a Gabba Grand Final. Uh, it's hyperbole. They can, but it's going to be far harder. Don't get caught on semantics. <laughs> no, well, come on. It's going to be much harder for them than if it's... I think they'd rather play the play a final series and have to come from outside the top four and do it in Perth as opposed to have a double chance and have to play finals in uh, in Queensland. I think they're struggling that much. It's not, not not just at the start of the year, like Adam Simpson said. They struggled again. I know they had, a, they had played a good opposition, but we're going to really find out in the next mm. few weeks what they're made of up there. But... Uh, they can still win it, but, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder, obviously. Yeah, they just can't seem to handle the dewy conditions. And if it's going to be a ninth grand yeah. final, they're, they're in strife. Christian, Adelaide won't win a game in 2020. Hype justified or hype fairly? <laughs> I got <laughs> this one again. In a row. Um, yeah, uh, could be their last chance tonight. Of course, so it depends when you're listening to these podcasts. But, um, Surely they get up. Yeah. Surely they get up. They lose tonight, very unlikely. I think I'm about four or five off the lead in our tipping competition, and I, I with a, with four rounds to go, I've got to try and get you know one or two upsets each week. I'm going for the crows to beat. Yeah, I'm going to tip them. Um, they've had they've had a buy. I reckon they're going to throw everything out just beating Hawthorne this week or tonight. Yeah, uh, strong ins, Brad Crouch back in. So, well, look, if you're listening to this on uh, Wednesday, you'll know. Um, Neil, another club will take a punt on Cam McCarthy, who said he's open to a move back to Victoria. Uh, maybe a VFL or Waffle Club might, but and I, I think his AFL career is over. I think guys like that who have been super inconsistent on the field and super inconsistent off the field, 
I think, you know, it's just too hard to take a punt on, on a guy like that. So, yeah, I can't see him playing AFL again. Uh, and I'll stick with you on this one. St Kilda will miss the finals. Well, Jake and myself um, this week produced a piece looking at the ladder predictor and where teams will finish come the end of the home and away season. Um, and we sort of merged our two thoughts. We both had St Kilda missing finals. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit of heartbreak for St Kilda fans after such a strong 10 or 12 weeks to start the year. Jake, is that a waste of a year if, if they don't make finals, considering the talk about them throughout parts of this season? Uh, well, I feel like it's been a waste of a year for a lot of people. <laughs> What's happened? Uh, no. Um, yeah. I don't want to say it is a waste of a year because I think it's a bit harsh to, to say that. I just don't think St Kilda's list is as strong as what was probably made out. Again, few few key players that have got to come back into the side. Still think they're trying to work out a few things. Um, good progress. But again, like Neil said about Carlton, next year is going to be the year when things are expected to go back to normal. If they regress next year, then I think we'll be a little bit more concerned. Fair enough. All right, uh, there is footy tonight. Don't forget to get your tips in on the Footy Tips app. Uh, footy Frenzy 2.0 is underway. So just do the next four weeks and, and you'll be happy you've done them then and you won't forget. Uh, thanks, guys. We will speak to you all in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.